Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. Goofier than the front end of the new Honda Goldwing. <laughs> oh, that's good. I was yeah. trying to think of like a, of a Hosack joke. A Hosack? A Hosack. I wonder where you could create a, a, a joke with Hosack. I think it's like, it's Hosack, isn't it? Whatever. But, it, but if you look at it, it says Hosack. Hosack. I'm not gonna. I don't think there's there's nothing I'm not there. Gonna touch a hose sack with a ten foot pole. <laughs> Is there something with like dividing the braking forces and the suspension forces and the hose sack? <laughs> there's something there. I don't know. We're gonna think about that one. No, do you don't want to? You want to get it too much dive on a hose sack? <laughs> but you do want some front end feel. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you know, right? you got to balance your dive with your front end feel, right? Uh, That's what a host act's all about. <laughs> <laughs> something, something raking trail. I don't know. <laughs> Quentin, good to see you. Always a pleasure to do this podcast. This podcast is brought to you today by Ace Motorcycle Tow. You wreck it. He tows it. <laughs> don't have a good catchphrase for that yet. Yeah, we'll beta test that one as did well. He, uh, did he say, "Hey, here's five dollars. I'm going to have you do this today"? What, what? Why are you saying that? Yeah, he's taking me to the airport on Sunday. He oh, just, nice. doesn't, does, just doesn't know it yet. <laughs> this is this is my way of letting of letting AJ know I need a ride to the yeah, airport. Right on. I got to go. I got to go see Mama B. Yeah. Do you really? Yeah. Well, hopefully that goes well. Um, yeah. That the uh, he's been busy. This is our good buddy AJ that used to be the tech at Lee Tech at Motocorsa. He is now towing heavily in uh, the portland area and is uh doing well with it yeah i'm stoked uh and a good supporter of the show yeah for sure he gives good feedback when he like he was like hey quentin was way low energy that show sucked and then the next one was like all right good that one was good quentin had energy (laughs) jensen you're still like c c plus (laughs) steady eddie yeah and i'm trying to like caffeinate here instead of you know use some sort of depressant yeah, we're going to have to start mainlining that that Diet Coke to get this podcast underway. So yeah, I fly out again this weekend. I just got back from a trip to LA, and then after that I go out to a wedding, and then I go to the Honda, what we assume will be the Honda Golden Launch. I got my official invitation, so I just wanted to did you really to bookend that in case anyone was worried that I wasn't going to get the invite. It, it, it all went through. Everyone's happy. Huh. Even though you, you showed the pictures, and poor Honda, I just noticed another video out today where there's like a a hyper Goldwing video, which is actually quite well done. Good song going to it. It lasts the length of the song almost, and it's just pictures and videos of the, all the Goldwings over the years. And they they did a lot to work on their heritage with that, right? I think they're trying to get back to it. I mean, when you think about how old that bike is, and like it's kind of like model revision. Like this is a this is a motorcycle that was so important to the U.S. market. They built it here. It's one of the few motorcycles that Honda built. Marysville, Ohio. Yeah, built yeah. in the United States. And they've since taken the production back to Japan. Part of because the the advantages in manufacturing in the U.S. kind of went away, but also the market for it in the U.S. kind of got saturated with some other brands kind of taking riders from them. And I think that's kind of indicative of they let that model or their attention for that model kind of waned. They weren't as maybe as vigilant about it. And they I think probably, they're starting to realize that now. And I think that's what this launch is kind of about is – Hey, this is a really important motorcycle, especially in the American motorcycling landscape, but also in the motorcycle landscape just globally. 
this is this is a huge bike no pun intended mm-hmm. and it's a big release for them no pun intended <laughs> it's going to be huge <laughs> no pun intended all those puns were intended, Quinn. Just for you. Just for you, buddy. They're not puns, though. That's wordplay, right? Puns aren't wordplay? Mm. No, a pun. You weren't replacing pun another is like word with another word. Wordplay word. without thinking. It's like a poor man's. It's like a stupid <laughs> man's wordplay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, it's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. It's not even a soliloquy. It's just... It's lowbrow, bottom-feeding, yeah, horrible. You yeah. are the catfish of humor. I like it when we get messages from from our listeners on Facebook, and like we kind of tag team it. I don't know if sure. any, I mean some of our listeners probably know because they're obviously the ones that have messaged us. But if you haven't, like you usually get a response from me, or and then a response from Quentin, or vice versa. And most of my responses are mostly me just lamenting Quentin's horrible response that has <laughs> some sort of pun in it. So, huzzah for that. Yeah, your last one was, I hate you both, because the person was into it, yeah. right? Yeah, I hate probably 90% of our <laughs> listeners. All the listeners that like you, I probably hate. Uh, it was the yeast I could do. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I like in like 30 years, I'm going to be like talking to a therapist about this. You know, <laughs> and, then, like, and then he said it was the yeast he could do. <laughs> it keeps me up every night, and that's why I can't bake things anymore. <laughs> uh, so... So yeah, just got back from Southern California, sunny Southern California, where I got to ride the new 2007, <laughs> the 2017 uh, Aprilia Dorzo Duro 900. Say, say it, it again. I'm serious. Dorzo Duro. Dorzo. Yeah, it's Italian for donkey punch. <laughs> that was good. I wasn't expecting because I was like, what does it mean? <laughs> Is that is that not right? Uh, I took French in school, so like I'm not so good with it. But I'm pretty sure in Italian, Dorzo Duro means donkey punch. <laughs> if 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 I'm wrong, please let us know yeah. in the uh, Apple iTunes comment section, and then rate the show. Um, and then we also rode the Shiver 900. So both bikes share a ch- uh, basic chassis and uh, new 900-ish CC V-twin engine. The um, Dorzo came to the U.S. as a 1,200cc model. The Shiver came as a 750, but... What, this was back in 2007? Yeah, way back in the day. The Dozodoro. Dorzo Duro. Dorzo Duro. With a D-O-R. D-O-R. I think I always read it as Doso. Ah, That's something else. Yeah. That's like Elephant Punch or something. (laughs) I don't know. Right, fair enough. So, I had always thought they were both 750s because I didn't pay enough attention to them in general because... Even in 2007, they were kind of on the meh scale for me. Yeah. I think I was by that time so, um, not fed up, but I looked at at, at Aprilia compared to Ducati as just such a meh. There is a 750 model of the Doors of Duro, but I don't think it came to the US. I think that was Europe only. Got it. So then. And so then, and then that 1200cc motor kind of morphed into what's powering the Kappa Nord. Although I don't believe the Kappa Nord is coming back for next year. So. No one really knows what's going on with that 1200cc engine. Hmm. Maybe but we'll, they said, maybe we'll right. see something at ICMA. I don't know. That we're going to try and do... Uh, the, the Shiver isn't like a Mana? Is a Mana? No, ma- the Mana was something else. That was an automatic That thing. was an automatic motorcycle-like vehicle. Right. Shiver just is kind of a street... Okay, let, me, let me break it down for you. This is like a really easy to remember which bike was which. All three of them sucked when they came out. Yeah. That's the easiest way to remember those bikes. Yeah. Oh, which one sucked? Oh, all three of them did? Okay, cool. 
Right. All right. Then what has allowed them to not suck now or what's going on with them? Yeah. So it's actually, you know, like I'm not going to say they suck. They just weren't great bikes. Like the the Mana never really kind of made sense like to like hardcore motorcyclists because it had that automatic transmission. It had a parking brake. And it was just kind of (laughs) like, it was just kind of weird. And it was like pre like Honda DCT. And before that was like kind of a thing, which is still kind of something I think riders are trying to wrap their heads around. But I think Honda got that concept a lot better or a lot more correct than say Aprilia did. It was just one of those bikes that was kind of ahead of its time, wasn't quite fully baked in the implementation of this like new design that it was trying to do. And it just kind of came out and was like a meh. Why am I getting this bike? I don't know why. The Shiver was kind of the same way. Like the Shiver is a great kind of roadster, naked, Street Fighter-esque street bike, but it was just so bad. It was the first, I want to say it was the first model from Aprilia for Ride by Wire. So it's one of the like first motorcycles on the market for Ride by Wire. And it just just wasn't the technology that it was today. And I've I've ridden one of those bikes and it just, nothing about it was really good. It just felt like a bike that had a lot of really rough edges. The transmission was really rough. The throttle response was really rough. The engine was really rough. The brakes sucked. You know, and it just does like, and and like the, the shiver platform, that, that 750, 1200 CC chassis motor platform is really heavy. So you have this shiver 750 that didn't make a lot of power that weighed a lot and it didn't do anything well. So you're just kind of like, uh, and the doors though, like the 1200 CC package made better power and it was a little bit better, but it's still kind of heavy and it's still kind of, uh. so when you look at the alternatives on the market, you're like, why would I buy these bikes? And I think the sales speak for themselves. And I think that's why 10 years later we're seeing, you know, what I would call like kind of like a mid model refresh. Like you've, you've gone back, you've got a new engine, you, it's Euro four compliant, but really what you're doing is you're taking all the negatives and you're fixing them and you're refining them. And I'll, and I'll be, you know, to, to front load the review process here. I think they're both really good bikes now. You know, if before you said to me like, Hey Jensen, I'm thinking about getting a shiver. I'm thinking about getting a doors of Dura. I'm like, whoo, have you ridden one? Like you should, you should ride one and make sure that's what you want. Like, are you getting a good deal? Like yeah, sure. what's leading you down this dark forest of a road? <laughs> you know, let me, let me, what can I do to talk you out of it? And what? now I feel like you say like, Hey Jensen, I really want to get like a doors of Duro 900. I'd be like, yeah, I totally get that. Is it a hyper? Probably not, but it's also like three grand cheaper than a hyper. Is it really? What's the price point? So which one on the, on the doors? Both. What, okay. What? So, uh, the doors is 11 grand. The huh. Shiver is nine thousand four hundred. Wow! So both nine hundreds. Both nine hundred is more of an upright seating position. Is that right? Yeah. Think of the Shiver. Like for me, like these bikes line up really well against Ducati's lineup. The Shiver is a monster competitor. Okay. The Dorzo is a hyper motard competitor. Okay, got it. And then it doesn't have the same in. seating position as a hyper, or is it a little bit more? It's um very similar i wouldn't say it's the same because a hyper is very dirt bike like and it's, has been it's very upright and and i don't know if you saw i kind of i posted some photos last night i saw the shiver it's me timbers very, i'd like that shiver me timbers yeah i like that a lot yar right. i think we're we're rolling up close on to talk like a pirate day yar yeah, right and i just watched the new pirates of the caribbean yeah. It's like a trifecta of pirate jokes Arr. that I just saved our audience from until you brought that up. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just, but I saw the Shiver Me Timbers and I like that. Yeah, that's your Except fucking it was horrible best, sense of humor. It was best done as Scissor Me Timbers in the South Park episode, which we won't go into. What is that? I don't understand that. <laughs> is that like a donkey show? <laughs> uh, right. 
So back to Shiver Me Timbers. So yar. Shiver. <laughs> I, I can't have you say it and not say yar. It's like there's something inside my head that's just not right. Um, yeah. So it's 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 got that that dirt bike esque seating position too. It's very upright. Um, Fly by wire, both of them. Both of them. Sorry, ride by wire. Ride by wire. The same ride by wire that's on the RSV4 slash Tuono, where it's that completely electric. It's cable. It's it's wires coming out yeah, of the so throttle, not, not a, a cable to a actuator, okay. you know, thing where it's then converting. So it. same as most Ducatis, BMWs is yeah. the way most ride by wires are going. Yeah, it's the what is it, Magneti Morelli SM4. That's off the top of my head. Let me check the notes and see if I'm right. Maybe possibly. It's too confusing to remember which bikes have what. Oh, I was close. Seven SM. So it's. And that made like a huge improvement using using that Traction kind of system. Control. Traction control. ABS, obviously, because this is all Euro Traction 4. control and ABS. ABS is an on-off. So that's kind of disappointing, especially on the doors. Like I'm I'm a firm believer if you're gonna have that like maxi motard, street motard format, like you, you should, be, should able be able to slide the rear. Slide the rear. So you can't, walk up the rear. You can't turn it off. You can't. It's it's not dual channel in the sense that you can't turn off the rear wheel and still have the front. Like yeah. on the Ducati. Like you can. But the you Ducati. can turn off the whole thing. You can turn off. The oh, whole that's thing. A, at least it's that. You can do that, which is great. Um, I would still like that. Would, and that would be my like my my twenty second review on the doors of Duro. It's like a watered down hyper. Uh, it's a little bit. It's a bit heavier. It's got less power. How the much electro- heavier? The electronics aren't as polished. So the Dorzo. This is when I say like these are heavy bikes. The Dorzo's almost 470 pounds wet the hyper's 450 that's so that's not the that large not of a that delta. huge about 10 horsepower between them the dorzo both the dorzo and the shiver make about 95 horsepower the hyper's making like 108 did it feel like a legit 95 horsepower or did you felt like it feel like it was more no it's an interesting thing like um i feel like that power is kind of more down low like yeah. it's it's very it's a lot smoother like riding around town like it is a bike you can commute on I it's think probably better both on the bikes street. i think you can commute on because it's very it's a lot more amenable to that like below 30 mile an hour stop and go traffic yeah the throttle response is still a little vague i think and i actually found the shivers throttle response to be better which i thought was interesting to see that there they have that different much riding difference. modes riding modes uh no uh, it is street touring and rain. Okay. So you didn't like on street. It's not like there's a race mode to try and get some throttle response out of it. No, no. Uh, I mean, the street mode has got some, it's got a pretty good throttle response. I just think there's a little bit of a, of a, a vagueness where like it, you kind of turn things and things don't happen, which <laughs> It's like what the hyper suffers massively from. Yeah, sure. Um, but in like track mode or whatever the fancy mode is on the hyper, it's almost too abrupt and too sharp, right? Well, I mean, I think the the five second review on the hyper is that's a bike that is awesome when ridden hard and fairly horrible when ridden slow because of that on off lurch. Yeah. Throttle response being crappy, you know, vagueness that comes with that throttle, but like wide open impulses wide open throttle movements, getting on the gas hard, like that bike, it feels awesome. Um, the doors is kind of like the other way around. What about on the, for the listeners that might be into the Yamaha series of bikes. Right. So would these, would these stack up at all with the FZ9, FZ7 thing? Sure. I mean, like obviously the doors is not quite in that, in that market, but the shiver is, and I, I had a, 
an interesting time trying to think about that in my head in terms of like what the comparison is for these bikes. So I was looking at it from the terms of like, if you're shopping for a shiver, you're probably looking at a Ducati Monster 821, a KTM 690 Duke or a Triumph Street Triple S. The European yeah. roadster type bikes. I don't think if you're a person looking to have or looking at um, an FZ09 that you're necessarily the same person that's looking at the Aprilia Shiver. Yeah, maybe though, right? The price points are not well. Maybe they are. You're saying that's nine grand, nine four for the Shiver. So what is an FC nine? Yeah, FC nine's nine thousand. It's a little bit cheaper, but like, I think at the, I think like I think it's really easy at that point because the FC FZ nine is so good. I mean, despite the fact that Yamaha didn't want to be in our Superbike Deathmatch, and I think that's a horrible mistake on on their part. I do have to say that the FC09 is a really good bike, and, and there's it? a reason it's selling really that's well. That's the triple. That's the triple. Yeah, and I've rode that once briefly, and it didn't really blow my skirt up. But it's not going to blow your head back. But for like nine thousand dollars, it's a pretty competent, well put together yeah. motorcycle that has that. good features right. for sure. For and so sure. I think like on a features perspective, I think it actually does better than the Aprilia, and I think on a cost perspective, it does better. And the only complaints I ever hear about those bikes is that their suspension is is like a wreck of being bad, and that you have to do something about it if you want to do anything specific with them other than just commute. I don't yeah, because in the, the day, it's still a budget bike. Yeah. All right, so that's the question: Is the Shiver any better relative to that? Did the, does it have uh, adjustable suspension or anything? Uh, suspension is completely adjustable. The shock is by socks. The forks are by Kayaba, and it's one of those weird, <laughs> weird forks where one of the forks tubes has nothing on top of it. The other one's got the, the rebound and the preload yeah, and sure. then the other fork to bottom has the compression so it's like one fork does one thing the other fork does the other which yeah. i always find like my ocd just has like an issue with especially when you look at it and you have like a, a cap on one and like adjustments on the other you know most good uh kits that you can buy are usually compression on one side and rebound on the other but they're usually both at the top and i would right. say in olin's or k-tech or whatever you say the the forks that are on my 848 race bike of K-Tech internals. And I've, if I'm, I mean, I might be completely mistaken, but I'm pretty sure one side's compression, one side's rebound. That's a normal thing. But they both have preload, right? Yeah, yeah. They both have preload. So, I've never, no, so you look this, they look the same, right? Right, right. But they just but don't have the thing at the bottom. Right. Right. So that, that I understand. Like the, what weirds me out is the, the complete lack of preload on one of the forks. Yeah, sure. Which I, I don't quite have my head wrapped around how that works mechanically. And just a spring on one side. Yeah. That's all you need, right? The other, yeah. the other fork tube probably only has fluid in it for lubing the uh, the slider going through the bushings on one side, and then that would be an air spring. To you a really point. need a, you really got to lube the front end. Got to keep it lubed. <laughs> all right, your hose, your hose sack has to be nice and moist. <laughs> oh wait, this doesn't have a hose sack front end. It has a. No one wants a damp hose sack. That's for sure. <laughs> just moist. Yeah. How's the damping on your hose sack? <laughs> Is it rebounding a lot or do you feel like it's getting compressed? <laughs> Sometimes when your hose side gets compressed, it's pretty good. It can jack in the turns though. You don't you gotta watch out for the jacking motion in the turns. Oh yeah. I mean if you're getting if you're getting front end chatter, you gotta pay extra for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So we've covered all of the uh various parts of the bike it seems to be both on the shiver and on the dorso duro. Dorso duro seems yeah. to be just not not nothing that was like oh my god this thing's Nothing's rad but nothing that your, was like holy crap yeah, these things are pieces nothing of shit. blows your hair back the brakes are really i was gonna say really bad they're not really bad tepid there's 
I mean, Aprilia is pretty well known for like choosing weird master cylinders and this is no, no difference, but we were talking about it, uh, at one of the stops and I think it really is the pads. Once you use the stops, get it. (laughs) You're pulling out all the stops for that. Uh, Sorry. All right. So pad material. So you think they choose too much of a streetable pad material that doesn't give you good feel? I don't think it's streetable at all. I think if anything, it's the other way around because once they got uh, some heat put into them, they worked a lot better. I wouldn't say they were great, and I still felt like the the lever force that was needed to get a good braking action was too much and still too vague. But they definitely this is all Brembo stuff. mm, If it was, it wasn't branded Brembo. Huh. Okay. Uh, I actually don't think it was Brembo. Interesting. Just looking at the pieces. Um, yeah, I mean the brakes were were fairly not great. I think if you swap out the pads for like some some cinchers or something, that's going to get a lot better. But like kind of with like any kind of Aprilia, with exception maybe to um, RSV4, the RSV4 and Tuono of the recent years, 2017 maybe 2016. The earlier ones also kind of suffered from from bad component picks for huh. for the braking components okay so yeah i mean that's it's one of those things like there's nothing that really s- blew my hair back about them except for the price and i think the price points on those bikes are really good uh i think it could turn some heads the bikes i think are a lot more competent now with the 900 cc motor um so i i, I think it really did a really good job of of putting that together and making these bikes that like hey if you if you ended up with one of them in your garage you wouldn't like bemoan the fact you know it's they're solid little things and i think they're gonna they're gonna do some damage against the other brands but i also think there's probably better picks out there like i probably am still gonna pick a hyper motard over a doors duro i'm probably still gonna pick like a triumph street triple or a ktm or or something over the uh the shiver and fz09 i'm probably gonna pick over a shiver any day of the week too um so that's, you know, that's interesting. And I don't, I actually had a lot of fun riding the Shiver, which I thought was a little surprising. I was really actually looking forward to the Doors of Duro when we went out there, just being like a hyper motard guy. Yeah. Um, but I actually had a lot more fun on the Shiver. It, the the throttle response was, was a little bit better. It was a little bit more fun in the corners. The Doors of kind of had a little bit of understeer, especially when it was low on gas. It really, like the front end felt really vague and understeered. And um, yeah. It felt like 2007 straight up. That's what it looked. I mean, that, the bike's the same. There's not been any major structural change or whatever other than, you know, bumping up the uh, the CC of the engine and maybe a few little tidbits. But the structure looks like it's the same damn thing that was really – and this is the joke is that I <clears> – as soon as you posted it, I put it up on Facebook a couple times like 2007 all over again. Like really – like how well, that's so bizarre that there wouldn't be anything – Yeah, the, I do believe there are chassis changes and swing arm changes. The wheels are different. They definitely the wheels they are the, different. They have the tri y newer style wheels, yeah. which might be lighter and better, and that's good. It they look like Brembos, but but you're the the calipers are Brembo for sure. Okay, the the <clears throat> the master cylinder. I don't think no. I, I that's that's why I'm looking at the. I was trying to blow up your pictures enough on on and on the on the old Instagram. It's not enough, but yeah the. It should be okay, right? That's the thing is like it shouldn't be that hard to to match these types of things together to make them feel better. It's weird when the companies don't get it right. I think it comes down to cost. I think it comes down to um, supply um, and and procurement. You know, I was talking to some procurement people the other day about components and 
you know, half the game is like, who do you have access to? Who can you buy from? Who's going to yeah. cut you a deal and at what volume and how much can you afford? And how does that make sense at the end of the day for the bike that you're building? Yeah, that's one thing that happened with the the Alta team is they were like, all right, we need to have th- this type of suspension for this machine. And the only company that made sense was WP, right, to buy the, the – and so we ended up having to get the specific type of WP fork that some people had derided as being awful because they weren't – it wasn't as good in the motocross track, but it's fine off-road – but that was the thing. That was the choice we had. That was it. That was to do the the level that we were going to do it at the volume. That was the that was the deal. And that is a tough one, right? You can't just go to Kayaba or Showa and say, "Hey, we're going to make X amount of thousands of bikes, and and we want to buy product from." They're like, "No, no, no, no. We're talking tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, and then we'll start chatting." But that's that's the thing, right? So I I would imagine on. But it's so weird for me thinking of Aprilia and Noale using Brembo components on parts of it, but not the whole thing, right? It's I get it when it's Suzuki with some Brembo calipers, and then some sort of Nissan thing on the on the master cylinder, which is what we had to experience at at Coda with the or everywhere with the GSXRs, right? It's a Nissan. It was a Nissan master cylinder. Right? I have to double check, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. And it's just weird mishmash, but they have they have their reasons. Whereas in this case, who knows what that is? It could be a Domino or whatever Italian company. But it's like, why not just just do the thing and figure it out? But I'm also not spending the money on ten thousand units, which I'm sure that's how many uh, worldwide that they're trying to produce. Or over the course of time. Maybe. Yeah, over the course of probably this life cycle. Yeah. 10,000. And so that's on. a lot, but it adds up. I get it. Still strange to me. It's interesting. It's an interesting thing to, to kind of see and to get to kind of peer into uh, recently. But at the end of the day, like, you got to make a compelling product. You know, like, like building your motorcycle off those kind of decisions is like the, where the compromises start getting made, where consumers start going like, well, why, why would I ride your bike then? Like if I'm supposed to buy a premium motorcycle, I want to see p- premium pieces on it. Yeah. I don't want to buy the, the middle range or bottom to minimum range, you know, or the bike with the bottom to minimum range components when it's being touted as like, you know, or priced at high level or premium pricing. But in this case, eleven grand for this bike. If the com- if a competitor is a Ducati at thirteen or fourteen or fifteen, it starts making sense. Yeah, that's that's, that's where I kind of keep coming back to where it's like, is it as good as the Hyper? No, but it also is two thousand dollars cheaper than the Hyper. Yeah, that that buys you an RCS master cylinder from Brembo pretty quick, right? Right, right. The money that you could save, like you could probably make a pretty you could get the suspension done, of- get the brakes set up a little bit better. And boom, you're you're pretty. I don't even good. think like you'd have to get the suspension done. I think you just have to sit there and turn some dials. Like if it was me, if I'm buying our, either of these bikes, I'm replacing the pads. I'm thinking about a master cylinder. Um, I'm I'm fiddling the dials on the suspension, and maybe I'm. That's probably it, really. Yeah. I mean, maybe I put a pipe on it to try and get some more power, but no, not really. I don't really need it. Yeah. Sure. Um. There's that some would visual be a- things about the bikes that people may or may not like, but that's personal preference. But like overall, like, yeah, that'd be about it. If I'm looking at that bike, I'd be looking at like, what kind of bag brackets can I get to put some saddlebags on to do some sport touring or, you know what I mean? That's how I right. look at 900 CC bike, upright seating position. And they have, they have bags in the, uh, the catalog. They do. So yeah, that's, about that. Then that makes sense. So fair enough. Maybe that's a good deal. And you don't want to have to ride a Yamaha because everybody else is riding a Yamaha and you don't want to have to ride a Ducati for whatever reason. Then you decide you want the, uh, a weirdo. I get it. I understand that. 
I think the Dorzo is like really good looking bike. The Shiver doesn't really do anything for yeah, me sure. visually. Yeah. I think the Dorzo is an awesome They did bike. good with the graphics. looks fine. Yeah. Again, 2007, but it's not like it was 2007 ugly. It was just kind of 2007 and now it's 2017 and it boggles it, my mind. It's a little Back to the Future, but it's not like <laughs> Back to the Future Part 2. No, you know? for sure. Or what was the one where like Marty. the Wild West? Uh, that was three. Okay. Yeah. Where's the one? Which one is it where they go? Like it's L.A., but like Griff is like the mayor. I think that's two. Is it two? That's like, like the worst one. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Because it's it's like Trump. It's like yeah, Trump's him. president. Yeah. Yeah. It all oh. it all came true. Let's move on. Um. Yeah. So moving on. So yeah, it was interesting to see those bikes. It's interesting to see what Aprilia is up to. I'm glad to see those bikes got uh, refreshed. I think that was a really meaningful refresh. Uh, it makes those bikes relevant again. Like you can talk to, you can talk about them. They have to be in the conversation now. Whereas before, like they really weren't. And um, yeah, keep on trucking. I got to ride my, I rode my bike to the airport, which which is the first time I've gotten to, gotten to do that. I know you've done it before. Which bike did you ride? I rode the Hyper. Yeah, that was kind of cool. I've never, I've never ridden a motorcycle so to an airport. Easy. Just gotten off of it and walked right onto Dude, the plane. Because the way it has in Portland, the the parking's right there. Yeah, right there. And like, it's free. And it's free. And it's like for seven super days or secure. something. Yeah. Whatever. Seven days. Yeah, sure. You could leave your bike there for seven months. They would never I know. I guarantee you that. But but bottom line, you walk off. And for me, I you were saying you were going to try and get a bag or something for your bike. Because yeah. I have saddlebags on the multi where I just I just have my jacket and helmet and all that goes into the bat into the bike. And then I have a, a small I've after 10 years of being a regional rep and and five years before that of traveling for racing, I have my travel situation set where I can basically pack a week's worth of travel, like Monday through Friday, in a helmet bag, almost, depending on where I'm going and what I'm doing. So I have a backpack and a helmet bag, and that's all I need. It's awesome. So in that case, it's pretty easy to just have that on the back. The only issue you have to worry about in Portland is rain and like, okay, if I'm going I need to be able to get it home wet. I need to have the gear in here so that I'm not completely soaked by the time I get home. So in my saddlebag, I had my rain gear and I've had to do it. I've had to get the rain gear on as I, as after landing and having to go through a, a squall on the way home. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. But some people are freaked out by that. I, you know, it's Portland. If you're, if you're not used to that, you're not riding. All right. So that's the only thing. That's the only thing you have to be wary of, but boy, is it nice. Get off the plane no going through any BS through the airport to go further to go even to get out to your car somewhere. No, no waiting for an Uber driver that is exceedingly bad at what they do. No, you know, it's like on your terms, you can go grab something to eat on the way home or whatever. It's a neat thing. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it's cool. It, it definitely, I was talking to you earlier today. Like I definitely need to get like some sort of saddlebag thing just to make that work because I've got a couple more trips that are quick little trips where I'm like, yeah, and I'll need a helmet where I'm going or, you know, it's not a big deal if I could just stash a helmet in a saddlebag and not worry about, that'd be cool. And it was a, it was a really interesting way of traveling that I haven't done before. And, uh, yeah, Velomaki sent me one of those new, it's kind of like duffel bags, but it has also backpack straps. Oh man. And it's the perfect size for, for carry on. So I, I need to that. get on that program. Who, who can you talk to at Velomaki? We can probably talk to someone for you, but like, <laughs> that was like the cool thing. It was, I was like, yeah, that was the perfect size bag for that trip. Perfect yeah. format for what I needed to do. I was like, yeah, okay, right on. I've got Overhead this. Overhead easy. I've got this like 90% figured out. I just need like a couple more things and I've got this like dialed in for future use. So I'll start by that. And then, um, I made I mean, mention about it on social media and a couple of people were like, oh, that's how I do it at LAX. That's how I do that here. So it's, 
good to see that there's some moto travelers rocking the bike to the airport. There's a great either it's either a meme or it's a video of somebody riding on the back of a motorcycle with a roller bag rolling along on the ground. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, I've actually it's a picture. I've seen that in person in Italy. Yeah. Behind a scooter. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Because, but you know what? When the first time you look at it, you're like, that's horrible. Why would you? But I'm, at least that start thing is, you know, well, if those wheels are good enough. Those you, bearings are only going to last so long. Though. You know, you get a couple trips to go to the airport if you really need it to happen. But yeah. It, it's a know, trip. Where there's right? a will, there's a way. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm not going to be doing that anytime soon. Yeah, sure. Uh, you want to talk about some newsy stuff? Newsy. Um, did you happen to hear that the end of the internal combustion engine is nigh? <laughs> the end is nigh. The our end podcast, nigh. like we're, we're just about to roll into like our two year anniversary and it's time to shut it down because, uh, internal combustion is dead. You know what? It turns out not all motorcycles are internal combustion. Yeah. I, I know where you're going with this. Drink, drink your drink. Yeah. Right. Turns out it's funny how that works. So let's talk about it. What's going yeah, on Cal- so this is California. And you know, most people are like, is it Jerry Brown? Jerry? Jerry Brown is a pariah to a lot of people, right? Because he's so extreme in his just bedwetting liberal tendencies, right? Horrible. But but he has some things that he's done pretty well. I just like the term bedwetting liberal. Like, that's that's great. <laughs> Whoever came up with that, like, I tip my hat to you. That's good. I don't remember that's where I got metaphor. it. But- and there he's now he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to try and end the internal combustion engine. And I think I don't know what people think. It's like, what are you going to do? All right. They're like, how the hell are you going to do that? What are they going to take away my guns? And they're going to take away my no, 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 no. They're just going to say, hey, from a certain point on, they're either going to limit it or eventually phase it out. Not you can't drive your Hemi Cuda. No, you will be able to drive it if you can afford to put the gas in it when all the other cars are electric on the road. And there's an infrastructure built because of that. Right. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if this is necessarily going to make gas more expensive because you're going to lower the demand. It's not like we're really going to change the supply. Um, well, if it's, if it, if they're basically saying no more, then the, that's going to change the supply and demand by virtue of it no. being legislated. It would change it if like they start taxing gas more, if we stop subsidizing gas prices, which is much more we should be doing. I don't necessarily think like California banning internal, the sale of internal combustion engines is going to like hand in hand raise the price of gas. I don't think that's the case. I think if it raise, if it increases in price, it'll be because of external factors that may be one or two degrees related to the, the, the stopping of sale of internal combustion engines, but. One or two degrees of global temperature change. Is that what you mean? No, just in the sense of like, like, you would still have the rest of the United States needing gas-powered cars, so there is a certain sure. amount of supply that's still being created. You've just lowered the demand, though, in the California market. I don't know, but we've seen better, the Cal- better economists than I will figure that that one out. But I wouldn't be like sitting there, and be like, "This is going to raise gas prices." Oh my god! I'm like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about that. What it is going to do is so we should back this up a little bit and understand that Jerry Brown's comments don't come in a vacuum. They come at a point in time where we're seeing this trend on a global scale. We've seen China make a very similar statement where they want to ban uh, the sale of internal combustion engine vehicles. We're already seeing China in metropolitan areas in certain markets um, are making it, basically you have to have some sort of, of electric vehicle or public transportation or mass transit vehicle because the pollution is just too bad. They have like these kind of like pollution zones. 
um you some european cities have have what they call a congestion is it congestion zone or congestion yeah, tax? paris majorly paris right? has it london has it you know so they're they're trying to crack down on basically traffic in urban centers uh, on top of that, we're seeing countries like the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and the Netherlands that are setting timetables for when they plan to phase out the sale of gas-powered and diesel-powered vehicles. And it's not really quite clear yet if this is cars and trucks and motorcycles or just passenger vehicles or what, but this is this is a trend on a larger scale, and I think a part of it comes from the, the Paris Agreement on, on emissions of how we're going to start reducing greenhouse gases, how we're going to start reducing our dependency on oil and refining petroleum and finding this finite resource. And, you know, what it's doing is going to give a shot in the arm to the electric vehicle manufacturers. And it's kind of this one of those things where it's like, you know, this is where you know your company comes into a lot of play, but it's also like what, what gives Tesla a shot in the arm and, and all these other companies where it's like, okay, well, now you're going to kind of help create the demand for some of these vehicles. So you're going to start having the scale. And at the same time, we're starting to see like a lot of other things come out of the woodwork, like solid state batteries right now is a huge thing. And this is something that I embarrassingly only have heard about recently because I, you know, I've had to drink from the fire hose of going from all internal combustion, you know, from the extreme of desmodromic valves and all the stuff that takes to make a Ducati run to then boom, you now you're into... Uh, electric, full, pure, then I've had to learn a lot of about the current setups of lithium-ion batteries, lithium-ion battery chemistries, basically cell, cell chemistries and cell batteries themselves, then how they are made up into a battery, as, right. as it were. And I'm learning all this stuff as I go and having to manage it on a, on a consumer level to deal with problems. But I had never heard of solid state batteries. So for me, I was first confused by that because it, it almost seemed like, well, wait, uh, all batteries are solid, right? To me, this is my brain. My brain's thinking every, every battery is a solid thing. There's no uh, spinning. There's no little gerbil inside the battery <laughs> spinning something. So what the hell do they mean by solid state? And I, I think maybe perhaps you can, you can speak to it a little bit more than I can because I only just started to delve into this. Yeah, I mean, how how technical do you want to get, and how hard do you want to try and describe it over a podcast? At the at the end of the day, like solid state batteries mean like you have two solid things touching each other. Um, whereas before, there's usually some sort of liquid medium for the anode and cathode. the electrolyte. Yeah, the electrolyte. Thank you. So we're basically getting rid of the electrolyte, and I think for for the solid state design that we're talking about, the electrolyte is basically getting replaced by a polymer. It's it does a lot of things. One. From a size perspective, it means you can make the cells and the battery packs smaller and have the same energy density. But from a physical standpoint, you can make the battery smaller because you're getting rid of that that gap that the electrolyte has to yeah. exist in. Um, also, from a packaging standpoint, depending on how they cool or how the energy, right? This is a big problem for battery packs in general, whether it be a Tesla or, or an Alta or whatever is energy in, energy out, it's heating up, and then that creates its own set of problems. So for me, that's what I want to know about solid state is, does it have a better effect? Could you Can you package them better? Can you put more uh, in one spot, in one place, and will it then also not get as hot, right? right. My, my understanding with solid state is basically every negative that you can talk about right now with the current lithium-ion 
technology, solid state addresses and makes better. So higher energy density, less weight, smaller form factor. It doesn't have to be a box. You can actually form them in molds to be complex shapes. Better heat property, better safety properties cheaper to make i mean you you name it and and you, the current technology seems to kind of favor a lithium ion based solid battery or solid state but we can go back to kind of more of the heavier metals that we're using before which makes them even cheaper so you can start using aluminum there's a lot more aluminum in the world than there is lithium it's, it's really a lot diff- cheaper. It's, it's difficult to get out of the earth to a point but it takes a lot of energy to get aluminum have you ever seen an aluminum Oh my God. That's a whole nother camera. But worms. again, uh, scaled correctly, it makes sense. A lot of people that have been complaining about, oh, well, lithium ion, we, you can't recycle. No, you can't recycle yet. And no, it's not as. Well, understand too that, like, in the, in the composition of the battery, the total batteries itself, these, the lithium components or the aluminum component, you know, in that example, is a very small portion yeah. of what that battery sure. is made out of. But solid state makes it a little bit more simpler. So it's one of those things where, like, they're talking about, you know, energy densities that are like two, three times of what we have now. And, you know, it being potentially cheaper and, and safety. Safety is one of the huge things and, and the, the thermal advantages. And you're just like, these are all the issues that we're having with lithium and why it's kind of like, yeah, I really want to get a Tesla or an Alta, but the range anxiety and this and this and this and that. And like, it's like, okay, well, now we can start talking about how we can put, you know, the, the energy equivalent when you take in the efficiencies of the different powertrains, the energy equivalent of four gallons of gasoline on a motorcycle and put it onto an electric motorcycle and still have a way under so, 450 pounds so or 400 pounds. That's so difficult to do, yeah, Because sure. it's, it's just not going to happen at the current technology level. But with solid state, like I was doing the math, I was like, yeah, that's possible. You're going to get close to like three and a half gallons of gas on like a 400-pound bike. And then the recharge time of solid taste is better too. I was about to say that probably so is a deal. It's, it's like literally everything that's negative about the current lithium ion technology is, is kind of getting resolved. And, and people that follow this space should be yelling at me right now and saying, Jensen, yeah, but we've seen these kind of promises from technology before. There's always this new thing coming around the corner that's going to fix all of our problems. This is just another one of those things. And it's like, yeah, you're right. But the interesting thing I found from this is BMW has come out and said, we're going to have a solid state battery powered car in the next three to five years. Toyota's come out and said, we're going to have, we're using this technology in our future electronic vehicles and our plug-in hybrids in the next three to five years. Even Dyson bought out a a startup that was spun out of the, um, I believe it was University of Michigan. And it's like, hey, we're going to have an electric car by 2020. I know a lot of people made fun of that. But I will say this, out of all the consumer products that I've used, and it is an amazing fucking product, if they're going to apply that company's culture towards a, a car, uh, I am all for it. I think it's going to be really cool. Think about what their core competency is as a company. It's high-powered electric motors. Yep. It's energy-dense batteries. It's um, user interface, user experience design. And it's attractive industrial design. There's a lot of intricacies and difficulties and a lot of regulatory things you have to jump through in order to build a car, which I think will be a challenge. You're preaching to the car over here. Holy crap. But like (laughs) in terms of like the core competency on making a good product, like they've got that there and they've already spent quietly $2 billion on this. 
So when they say that's very hey, quiet, how did, did they just say that recently? How did you? How do you know where where did that come from? It originally went out in a internal email to the company, but um, Mr. Dyson himself has since confirmed it, and they're actively hiring. They want to get in this space, and that's where are they based out of? They're British. I mean, I figured because he he goes on his commercials and he's all super British, limey guy. But pinkies I didn't. Out. Yeah, pinkies. Pinky's out, lip, very stiff. Very upper, upper stern stiff, upper lip. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Lots of limes. Scurvy. Yeah, he keeps calm Scurvy and then dogs. carries on, yeah. <laughs> Keep Keeps calm. So if that's, they would be, you think, they bought something that was Michigan-based. Is that true? Well, yeah. So they had licensed solid-state technology from another company and hadn't used it yet. And then they just bought out this startup that seems to have some really promising huh. solid-state technology and from what i've heard is kind of better than what they're licensing michigan's a pretty solid state it's pretty solid it's all right i mean i wonder what else they make in michigan that's any good not cars i'll tell you that (laughs) not for the past 30 or 40 years (laughs) that's a whole other can of worms (laughs) but no so it's interesting to see like like for me dicing getting into it is just like that's just like an interesting kind of thing but like when toyota and bmw two of the auto manufacturers that are serious about their electric vehicles when they're saying like yep we're gonna be doing this and then you have elon musk come out and and like kind of like trying to like downplay it and be like oh if this technology was any good trust me we would already have it i'm like yeah but they sell way more cars than you you might be selling more evs than them right now but that's not gonna be the case 10 years especially someone like toyota and bmw they're like hey we know Look at what the world leaders are telling us. Like, uh, what is it? Uh, the Netherlands by 2020, Germany by 2030, Scotland by 2032, the UK and France by 2040 are going to ban internal combustion vehicles from being sold. So if you're one of these car manufacturers, you look at that landscape and you're like, oh, yeah, okay, so we got to get serious about this. We make, I don't know, let's say Toyota makes a million cars a year. I don't know how many they make. I don't have a clue what they make. Let's yeah. say it's a million. It's way more than Tesla's making. So they're willing to be able to be yeah, the sure. higher price bidder on that. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they would have that technology. And then you got multiple other manufacturers like Volvo, uh, VW. So that's the next thing I want to get to. So this is becoming a trend. So like Toyota and BMW were the first ones, or I should say Toyota, BMW, and Dyson are the only ones I've heard talk about solid state battery sure, technology, sure, sure. which I think is very interesting. But we're also seeing other manufacturers come out and saying that they're going to electrify their fleets. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, I don't know so much about Volvo, but VW, they came out and they have their roadmap E. And they basically said every vehicle across every brand will have an electric version available by such and such a date, 2030. And you go and you look at it and they've got all the brands up there, including Ducati which I found to be very, very interesting. And I'm trying to track down an official statement from Ducati, and I haven't been able to get one yet. Um, probably will get one next week after this podcast uh, gets released. But um, there was some remarks made uh, today by Rupert Stadler, who is the head of uh, Audi, Audi AG. And they were at the press launch for the Audi A8 out in Valencia, and he was kind of confirming, like, yeah, Ducati's going to have an electric model and you know maybe even a scooter and that's just a part of like what the transportation needs are for the future and claudio dominicali himself when the desmo sedici stradali came out made a couple comments about we know electrics will be the future but that future isn't here yet and this is the engine that we want to power our super bikes and it's a v4 with desmodromic valves so the writing on the wall is kind of there that we're going to see this kind of shift 
in the next coming years. And I know uh, in a couple of weeks, KTM is going to be releasing their next generation of the Freeride E because um, I'm still going back and forth with them on whether or not I'm going to be attending that press launch. It doesn't look like it because they don't want to pay for the ticket, which I think is dumb, but that's on them. This would be to go to Austria. Yeah. So I'm kind of get like, yeah, it's kind of far away, but on the same side, you're just like, well, from what I understand, this is a pretty serious upgrade for the KTM uh, electric dirt bike. So you're seeing brands get serious about it. We know that KTM has been playing around with an electric version of their 690 Duke. And, um, you know, I don't think it's something that can be ignored anymore. We saw Honda, the Tokyo Motor Show uh, is this weekend. Honda has an electric version of that um, the bike that keeps itself upright by oh, yeah. by swinging its front end, yeah, which is pretty clever. Um, and I had forgotten that that has like a follow feature as well. Like you tap uh-huh. like the fender and it'll like follow you around like a little puppy, which would be really neat for like video stuff. I know, I know that sounds like most people are like why the fuck would you want that. I'm thinking, uh, why wouldn't you? Like, start thinking outside think, of the box. Think about every time you try to push your motorcycle across the, you know, the garage or whatever. Like, I just had someone the other day. They're like, um, there was a bike that they ended up not buying because it was too heavy for them to push, which seemed really weird to me. And like, I won't get into that part of it, but like, that has to be an issue for some people. Like, especially think about the Honda Goldwing, right? Like, how yeah. much is that? That the reason why it has a reverse gear. Yeah. yeah. So like. If you could just press a button and if have it was the gold bl- wing just gyroscope bl- up and follow and you move, out. yeah, pretty neat. That'd be that'd be awesome, I guess. And then and then when you stop at a stoplight and it's kind of, you know, you can't quite flat foot it or it's a lot of weight. Like even when I have like a passenger on the back, I'm like, oh man, I really got to make sure I got my feet planted and, you know, I got the bike's weight right where I want it because that can go sideways really quick. No pun intended. Um, and that's a technology that can help in that regard. So that's interesting. So overall, I look at all these kind of dominoes kind of coming along and like, it's like, man, electrics are really coming on. And then the thing that we didn't talk about was I know California is talking about or, or is looking into some sort of cap and trade for electric motorcycles, right, which is so kind of something they did with electric cars. Explain it. Explain cap and trade. Okay. So cap and trade is, um, it's an, well, it's an economic incentive to do something. So like kind of like good for the environment. So the classic cap and trade would be like factory emissions. You know, like you, you've got like a heavy metal smelting plant that puts out horrible things into the air and you're only allowed, let's say like a thousand parts per million. I don't know if that metric makes sense or not. No, but it would probably be a, a hundreds of thousands of parts per million per day or whatever or the hell whatever it is, it is. right? <laughs> whatever it is. You're allowed X. Yeah. But the regulation is like half of X. Well, maybe your business can only like the cleanest it can ever be is X, but maybe there's another business that can be like zero X. Like they can like, oh yeah, we can totally clean this up. So the idea is like the government caps how much you're allowed to put out, but it's like a global cap, you know? So if your company is over that cap, you can buy the remnant from another company at a, at a market price. And there's like a market for these, like buying these, these, you know, emission, um, uh, allotments. And so like it creates this like incentive, like, so for the companies or the brands or the businesses that are able to clean up their act, it gives them an incentive to do so because they can then sell that, that Delta, that difference to the other companies that aren't able to. And what this is doing in the vehicle world, it's the same thing where it's like, okay, auto manufacturers, you need to have X number of vehicles 
be electric vehicles or plug-in hybrids or your global, um, they call it the cafe standard, like your global, you know, cross the line model emissions numbers need to be, you know, a certain value. And if you get under that, you can sell that surplus to another company that's over it. So like they're going to get penalized by having to pay you money. And it worked out really well for Tesla. So for all the companies that didn't have an electric car, they were basically paying Tesla to keep ma- to make electric vehicles to offset it. Them. So it's it's like it's going to work out really well for 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 Alta and for Zero and for any of these other electric uh, motorcycle manufacturers in California, assuming this you know becomes law. Yeah. You know, gets it looks like it's going to move that way, but it uh, creates that incentive because it's basically like. Honda and Yamaha and Suzuki are going to have to pay you to keep making electric bikes. So it's like, oh, yeah. So now, like, I can factor that into the cost. So instead of my motorcycle costing $15,000, it can cost $11,000 because Suzuki has to pay me four grand for every bike I build <laughs> to offset it. It's so bizarre to think about, but I get it, right? And that's actually one of the reasons why Ducati was purchased by VW. A lot of people are like, oh, well, Ferdinand Pike wanted a Halo brand and all this crap. No, Fair bullshit. enough. Most you don't, of it. no one, no one at that business level makes purchases like that for those kind of reasons. No. So the, uh, the largest single thing that I was told was Lamborghini needed an offset bad because all they made are six liter V12 gnarly things. So there needed to be an offset and same within the Audi realm of small engine. Even if a Panigale isn't necessarily the most efficient, um, from a, turning fuel into forward motion right. uh, unless it's at high rpm and high right I mean, well, especially at that point in time when the Panigale was euro three while cars are having to be on like euro six or whatever it is sure now. but the idea was okay you're going to offset some of this somehow with ducati small engine small right there's a balance of it somehow which was why it made sense to shuffle it below that and also italian politics shuffle it below lamborghini which is then below audi which is then below VW, you know what right. I mean? Right. That's, That's why if you actually look at the corporate structure of who bought whom, um, Lamborghini bought Ducati. Yeah. Audi owns Lamborghini. Yep. VW right. owns Audi. Right. Shell game ensues. A lot of people talk about Audi, and I even do it in my stories because because it's it's easier to say it that way, even though it is factually wrong. But for all intents and purposes, Audi basically dictates to Ducati what they're doing. It's it's just easier. It's yeah. Most it's like ninety nine percent correct. Right. So I can see that this is something that I was told many years ago. This is two thousand twelve or so. I'm like, ah, wow, that's a weird thing to think about. But if that's how it works over there in Europe, well, now if it's going to be a situation where they're going to say that in California, and you know, California Air Resources Board CARB CARB standards rule the roost, man. Not there, there's been reasons why for decades you've heard, oh well, it's a California bike. Or it's a California car because it's that serious where they have to make a spec specifically for California. And and to be honest, you don't hear about that anymore. No, you don't hear about a forty nine no a forty nine state model anymore. Not, not very it's often. a fifty state model. Yeah. Because it now just California is now the standard. California's sixth largest economy in the world from a from an automobile standpoint, it sells the most cars are sold in California than France, Italy, and Spain. Combined? No, separately. Huh. But just to put it like yeah. in perspective of like 
this is a serious market. If California is going to start dictating these kind of things, and then on top of it, you have the UK, you have France, you have Germany, you have the Netherlands, you have China. Fuck, you have China. You're going to have, like, that's a huge market pressure. Well, well another factor into this, because a lot of people have complained about this aspect of it, is um, the infrastructure. A, a town like London uh, or Paris or even New York was built with a quasi with New York uh, infrastructure to suit moving people around without cars to a point. So it makes a little bit more sense in some of these cities. Whereas like a place like LA. Oh yeah. Right. The, Having the just come from LA and sat, sitting in traffic yeah, for hours on yeah. end. The, 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 the nascent um, industry of passenger trains was killed off by the big three famously early on right so cities that grew up all over the nation uh were grown up grew up with roads because at the at the time the industry was like no 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 no. what are you trying to do with this whole moving people around on train rails thing we want them to buy cars right so this has been going on for probably nearly a century at this stage now that's a that's the biggest problem i see with it is like they're gonna have to have still cars right you're still going to have to because the infrastructure isn't going to be there to get from orange county to los angeles and make any sense without being in a car and then if you throw in a little autonomous driving that makes it more efficient to get around where most of the cars are 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 part of an algorithm that's figuring out how to get you there quicker it's just going to make more sense over time yeah i think yeah i think you bring up a good point like this is it's been interesting for me, and if you go through the comment section on Asphalt Rubber for the Solid State Battery article, that one in particular, you know, you definitely see a lot of the naysayers show up. And, like, I think the – I kind of try to stay out of the arguments, but I think if there's one thing to really say is this is something where you have to look at the whole board at what's being played. You have to look at the whole picture. Um you know, electric vehicles as they stand right now aren't the silver bullet fix to alternative, or I shouldn't say aren't the silver bullet alternative to gas power vehicles, but they're pretty close. I think the solid state battery technology is going to mean that we can make electric cars that are reasonable yeah. uh, replacements for internal combustion cars on price, on performance, on spec, on weight. On Same thing with on motorcycles, refueling. on yeah. refueling. Like this is finally like, you can have an apples to apples talk about it. You don't have to be like, well, the range and the anxiety and the cost. Okay. So like that's, that's that piece of that puzzle kind of worked out. And then we have to still sit down and figure out, well, how do we, how do we power these things? How do we charge these things? Where do we get our power from on the grid? California is, you know, happens to be, I think the, the number one state in terms of renewable energy. No, it's, if not, it's up there either way. That's not necessarily moot, but the point is, that, that most people are going to complain, oh, well, all these electric vehicles, you're still going to be burning long-chain hydrocarbons to get us going down the road. Well, how do you respond to that? Because I think that's a very stupid argument to say that. And, and I don't, but I don't know how, I haven't figured out how to, how to pl- put it lightly. It's like, all right, well, if you've got a scrubbed coal power plant where, where it's like you've got one source of emission that you can control to a point, and you have that, and you're still burning lignite, you're still burning coal, whatever it is that you're burning, or fuel oil, or liquidified natural gas, or whatever the thing is that might be cleaner, you're, you're still controlling the one thing as opposed to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of vehicles, which are all in various states of disrepair, 
as they have as they age and they're all burning fuel in a be, in a in a not so good way right the product of perfect perfect combustion is is water but is it rare that that we get perfect combustion yes especially over the course of the age of internal combustion vehicles pistons and and valves wearing and creating inefficiencies within the systems as they age for sure so also having awful standards that um, rate these vehicles at idle instead of while they're going down the road because a big, gnarly V8 American truck sitting at idle is efficient at, at that time. Whereas if you're going down the road at 80 miles an hour, a, 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 a two-cam, four-cylinder, inline, maybe even a turbocharger or something like that is going to be way more efficient where it matters when you're going 55 miles an hour down the road or 70 miles an hour down the road. Like, so the, that, these arguments that we keep seeing, oh, well, why, why does it matter? When I'm plugging into the wall, then I'm still going to be burning hydrocarbons. So why does it matter? How do you, how do you address that? Well, that's why I say like, you got to have to look at the whole board. And it's this idea of you know, the one of the ones I hear the most, I think that you brought up was, you know, we're, we're making the electric, you know, how are we making this electricity? A lot of it's coal, a lot of it's natural gas, and that's not necessarily good. So yeah, the vehicle might be cleaner in terms of its emissions for locomotion, but it's getting that energy from somewhere else, which isn't clean. And there's a couple of things there where it's like, well, I think the data is pretty inclusive that like that scrubbed coal plant or that scrubbed natural gas plant is cleaner than the tailpipe of the vehicle it's By being replaced. By a long shot, right? And scrub and, being basically and, filtered and or also catalyzed. understand that the cap and trade thing comes back into here as well, where yeah. that, that coal plant's being offset by something else because they have to. Um, but even taking that aside, you have to understand too, it's like, we can't say electrics aren't feasible because the energy, that the, the power plant that produces that energy is dirty, so therefore the cars aren't really clean and they're dirty too. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, let's not be naive. Let's not sit here and be like, zero emissions isn't this great. But also understand that our way of generating power isn't something that's static. Now, these are long cycle, you know, things. A, a power plant lasts 50 something odd years, 30 something odd years. I mean, these are major cap X things that cost a lot of money that you're going to life over decades. But over time, they are going to be, as a coal plant gets phased out, a natural gas plant replaces it or a solar plant replaces it or hydroelectric plant or nuclear or something replaces it. And so that progression may take longer. It might take a lot longer in terms of life cycles and, and time to, to, to get to where all of our electricity is made in a clean sort of fashion. Yeah, sure. But you can't just say like, Oh, because that's going to take so long, we should just scrap it. Like I, that to me, it just doesn't make sense. Like, yeah, we also look at how much of our electricity requirements go into like, like powering vehicles. It's like, I don't, you know, it's not really going to tax the system that much. And, and it's certainly going to be, are you sure? Cause that seems like a good point. Like if everybody, and I know if it's going to ease in, right, we're not going to immediately, all of a sudden the legislation isn't going to go click. And then all of a sudden everybody's going to have electric cars click. Well, but- that's kind of my point, right? That's, that's like the, the amount of time it's going to take us for, to transition is also the same amount of time. Like we're going to be able to meet that capacity with new, um, building new power plants and adding more infrastructure to our grid. And I was just reading something the other day about, uh, how Oregon's becoming part of this or sorry, PGE here in Oregon is becoming part of a larger, network of power companies across state lines to buy and sell 
um, the energy that they produce and California is part of this. So it's this idea of like, you know, there's an opportunity for say like the state of Nevada to just become one giant solar panel and states that are near it buy power from them as no, part, of, as, no bullshit, as part of these man. exchanges it's already happening it's yeah. already occurring like i'm being like i'm taking it out to like the most ridiculous degree no but if you if you go to vegas now uh usually when you fly in you see that beam of light coming from the southeast area uh toward south oh, oh the luxar no no god i don't even want to think about vegas right now but yeah that the there's a uh one of those uh mirror right I don't even know what you call that mirror solar mirrored solar uh, p- production plant, right? So all the mirrors are in a, fa- a right. phased array to uh, heat up a tube that boils water, uh, boils water, which and turns a turbine, steam, steam jet, right? Yeah. So there's that one there that's close to Vegas. There's another couple of them north. I know on the way into Reno, I remember seeing one being built a few years ago. They take up a lot of space. I'm sure there's a lot of complexities to making them, but once they're going, I'd love to see. How expensive is it to build one and how expensive is it to maintain it relative to a nuclear situation, right? I'm a big fan of nuclear. I think a lot of people are scared to death of it. I'm not. I, 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 I'm, I'm a fan of it. I think it would be great to see more of that. But at the same time, if we could avoid that and just keep using sun to do it, then yeah, it'd be wonderful. So if you could see all of Nevada, a bunch of California, Arizona, wisely doing this stuff, and it makes perfect sense to me, and I don't know why, that uh, there's so much resistance to it other than big oil and big auto manufacturers have been feeding bullshit to the United States collective for so long that all you hear is the echo chamber of negativity towards electric. And now it's it's irrefutable that you... you well, know. and I think part of that too, and we actually had someone ask us this question, so maybe it's a good tie-in, like talking about the conservative nature of motorcycling. And motorcyclists and, and just that kind of like, yeah, um, it's not so much like current conservative in a political spectrum, yeah, yeah, yeah. although I would say the motorcycle industry probably does skew sure. more conservative, but truthfully, I think it skews more libertarian. Um, but I think there's like a pessimism and there's a resistance to change. And I think the only proof you need of that is the fact that Harley Davidson accounts for half of them big motorcycle sales in the u.s over 500 cc sales but it, and it uh, goes back and to, that's a motorcycle that hasn't changed in like the better part of 12 decades and it's telling though that the one new thing they did within the past five years was build a one of the few new things they did was build an electric vehicle that they tested because it's like i think even they see the writing on the wall right i i think they do um they can't not be there's as probably big some as things are. i could say about that that i'm not quite ready to say yet but look forward on asphalt and rubber soon but I think I think if you're a company like Harley Davidson, I think if you're a company like Honda or Suzuki or any of these big name brands, you have to be thinking about electric at some point. Sure. You have to, because the riding's on the wall, the transportation, you know, our transportation thing is so in flux right now. And that's that's the other part of like I come back to you, you have to see the whole board. You have to look at this whole picture. Like we're talking about just one sliver. And another thing that we, we hear is is the problem with say solar or wind energy is that it is only temporary, right? And we have to figure out a way to, to store the energy, so right. batteries and or like my friend that works for uh, a company that was trying how to figure out how to compress air so that you would compress it during the time when you're making the energy and then let it out and and spin a pump uh, to, to make the energy on as you're releasing it, right? So between that or batteries themselves, but think about for a second, if everybody had even a, even a 10 by 10 solar panel in Southern California, everybody like you were, you were, it was mandated. 
and your car was the battery. Imagine you would have a million batteries charging up through the time in the day. You get to work, you plug in. You're at your house, you're plugged in. All of a sudden, all of these battery systems are now the things that you're driving around every day, right? And you're using them and you're discharging and then you're recharging them and you're discharging. Right. It's it the balance so of that. You've taken you've looked at the board and you've taken it out to a couple deviations beyond where, where we're talking, but what you're basically talking about is a decentralized power plant. Yeah. Where the 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 and the and that's that's legitimate because I think you can say within fifty years, maybe a little bit further out than that, the role of uh, the power company yeah. will have gone away. Fuck them. Yeah, absolutely. Because, because it. it will be one of those things where, yeah, like the car is a great sense. We're like, we're not going to look at energy usage in a location based sort of way, but more as like a per person sort of way. So, you know, my house gets power and, you know, maybe I get solar panels and it powers itself, but I, I probably still need power from the grid for yeah. nighttime or whatever. Sure. Um, and then my car, maybe that's electric or something, but it's this idea of like, maybe at some point in the future, I have a small battery in my house and that augments the, the energy that I get from the grid or I get from some sort of solar panel or whatever that is. And maybe that also ties into the car battery that I have, because that's going to have to be a rolling battery and that's a part of a system. So like when I'm not at my house, I'm actually taking my battery pack with me. Yeah. Because the batteries, the, the energy is following me now uh-huh. instead of like, okay, I'm at my one location and it gets an electric bill and I go to my next location and it gets an electric bill and it's, it's like my cell phone plan. Like, why do I have to have like a data plan for my phone and a data plan for my watch and a data plan for my tablet? It's like, why I just, I'm going to use just like 20 gigabytes a month. I'm just going to use it between all my devices. Why can't I have that plan? It'll get there eventually. But that's, you know. That's the bigger part of the picture. Like, we're not going to be driving ourselves anymore. We're not going to be having cars as we know them anymore. We're not going to be powering them the same way. We're not going to use them the same way. Like, I don't think you're going to own a car in 100 years. And I think that's what we need to get the listeners to start thinking about instead of just reactionary, I want my gas engine. I want a brap, right? And that's part, but that's the part of it too. We're like, we're talking about transportation. And I think a lot of our listeners, myself included, ride a motorcycle because of recreation. Yeah. And we have to understand those two differences. Sure. But also understand that the transportation side of it is going to dictate certain terms of the recreation. And so that's when we start talking about EVs and autonomous vehicles and the law and electrics and all that stuff. I always come back to eventually this is going to mean that motorcycles are the weirdo. We're the thing that's a standard deviation away from the norm. We're the thing that's an outlier when every car on the road is autonomous and self-driving, but like the motorcycle has still got a human component. Like yeah. what do you think st- crash statistics are going to start looking like every vehicle crash, every vehicle fatality will probably end up involving a motorcycle. Assuming we get to that point, like, but like it doesn't get shut down. The fun doesn't get shut down for us beforehand, but like, let's say overnight, all cars on the road, we're autonomous and self-driving now. Like 90% of all vehicle fatalities, 90% of all vehicle crashes are going to involve a motorcycle. You don't think someone's going to legislate against that all of a sudden? You don't think someone's going to be like, hey, you know what would be a great idea? Get rid of all these fucking motorcycles that keep crashing into my cars. It's not that motorcycle crashes or motorcycle fatalities as a raw number has gone up. It'll actually probably go down. Yeah. But, but it's just the fact the that only we, are now, we are now the lion's share of all the problem. That like we become the the thing that starts getting legislated out of the box. That's what I start thinking. And that's when like I start getting on the case for 
the MIC and the AMA and say, hey, guys, wake the fuck up because we need to be a part of this conversation because it's going to be really, really easy for us to be the minority group here. We already are the minority group, let's be honest. But it's going to be really, really easy for the majority to start dictating terms for us. So like, hey, you know, your motorcycle, it needs to have this transponder. Your motorcycle needs to do this thing. Your motorcycle needs to start working in the system, this new system that we're creating. It works in the old system just fine, but we're creating a new system. And if we don't have a seat at that table, if we don't become a part of that conversation, we're going to have those dinner rules dictated to us. And that's my worry. So yeah. that was that was a lot. Now, man, there's a, there's a lot to think about. We didn't even touch on so many of the other things that, again, there's a lot of haters out there. And, and one of the main things was, uh, well, to produce a Prius for the years, this, this, is, sure. this was the thing. It was like the production of that Prius from soup to nuts, from the beginning of its life to the end of its life. How much energy does it consume, right? To to build the batteries, to build the car, to put together, to do the thing, whatever. And I I keep hearing that argument and it just doesn't hold enough water for me. It doesn't hold enough electrolyte, if you will. And electrolytes <laughs> are what plants crave, man. So that's well. I mean, there's. I think there's. I think it's a valid argument in the sense of like we do need to think of things in their totality. But to sit there and be like, oh, but you know, think of all the energy that goes into making an electric vehicle. And it's like, well, you know, how much energy goes into making a regular vehicle too, though? Like, and how much gonna- energy does it does it take to get gas from the ground, crude to refined? And and then the system of getting Refining that gas and all the way it. to the gas station Pipelines, and Winnemucca, Nevada, so I I call that null and void. But that's a thing that people keep talking about, and I just I'm like, eh, I'm I'm almost at well, that's moot. You you need to that's that doesn't even make any sense relative to the existing infrastructure and the problems we have with that, right? Not, not to mention storing gas underground and things that can rupture and then go into the groundwater and on and on and on with all the bads. Oh, well, they could burn down. Well, like you haven't seen a barbecue every other week on the on the roadway. Well, that's right? kind of the thing with the salt, like just kind of harp on it. The solid state batteries, like they don't have that cascade failure. They're extremely resistant to it. You'd probably have to put it next to another cascade failure to get it to cascade fail. Fail cut. I don't think I said that right. Fail in a Cascadian way. There, there you go. <laughs> Ther- reaching thermal limit and going critical, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's it's one of those things where like this isn't. It's a complex thing. This isn't easy, and that's why there's debate. That's why there's information and misinformation. That's why there's varying differences of opinion here. Um, because if it was easy, we would have figured it out. We would have done it already. But there's a lot of people with vested interest in it. There's a lot of hurdles to overcome like like you and i just talked about the end of the energy sector like as <laughs> as a viable thing to yeah. the future and you're like yeah. really like like there's a certain naivete that has to come with like do you really think that like pge or pg&e or where i came from growing up or edison power or any of these these companies that provide the the electricity that comes out of your wall socket is cool with them going out of business. Now, maybe they stay on in some sort of like, you know, like their role gets changed. They have to pivot. The same like what we were talking about, like Shell and how like the gas station is going to be an EV charging station. Maybe they pivot. But companies are pretty resistant to that kind of thing. Sure. So that's going to be, that's going to be a huge challenge. And it's going to take, it's going to kind of take some carrot and it's going to take some stick. And that's where I come back to like the thing with California and the thing that we're seeing with, 
these other countries with with outline internal combustion engines and saying like, hey, you're not gonna be able to sell any of these after a certain date. That's the stick. That's them being like, hey, the the free market's not gonna take care of this on our on its own anytime soon. We need a solution now. Boom, here it is. Here's a hard date. Here's an issue that you're going to have to overcome. Now, here's a couple carrots on how you can fix it. We'll do cap and trade. We'll do things over that. We'll do incentives. We'll subsidize. We'll invest. Those are the carrots to it, but it's going to take a while and it's going to take, this is a big ship trying to, you know, yeah, turn around and it's going to take some, some doing to do it. Well, it's good. To, I, I like being on the sharp end of the conversation because I don't think a lot of people are thinking critically about it yet. I think most people are just frankly, re- reacting to current political atmosphere and are just all kind of numb to the BS that's going around and around them. And they're not thinking about this future in a weird way, because I would have expected this in the, in the, in the 2000s, let alone being in 2017. I, I have to admit, all of, the, all of the things that I've read and movies that I've watched that influenced me to think of future, well, and on the extreme side, it could be Star Trek, but on the, on the non-extreme side, it could be like iRobot. Or Minority Report, where that was the first time when we were, were, I I remember actually thinking, oh, cars where you just get in and they used an Audi, you know, Audi kind of put themselves into that movie and the people aren't driving the cars. It's just part of it. You can, you can start, you can get in it and then drive it for a little bit, but generally you can press the button go. And I was like, oh man, at that time, what was that? 15 years ago or something. I was like, oh, that's never going to happen. But now it's looming. It's not just not, it's coming. It's not, it's happened. Like you can do it. You can go buy a car that does the thing. That's bizarre, right? Or iRobot where the the protagonist was a, a, a holding on to the old technology. And at the time it was an MV Augusta. And he he had to go down into the slummy area to go get his MV Augusta out of a garage so that he could uh, ride around on this old ancient thing. And thinking about that now, it's like, oh my God, we're knocking on the door of that. Where that that's going to be me. I will. I will have my Ducati piston engine thing that I will want to have to go some far away in my electric van to go get fuel for so that I can go ride it. Right. But you know, so to go back to go back a couple shows, this is where synthetic fuels come in. If we start making energy in a renewable way where energy is no longer a commodity that is limiting for us, if we have an abundancy of, of electricity, an abundancy of energy, now we start making synthetic fuels at probably the supply necessary to maintain the vintage enthusiast. Yeah. It starts getting interesting. Like it's it's an interesting kind of thing. And there's a lot of pieces. There's it's like you took like a thousand piece puzzle and you shook it up in the box and you threw it on the table. And like the entire puzzle is just the color blue. There's no picture. There's no like, like thing going on. It's just all the same fucking color blue. And you're trying to figure out where all the pieces go. And like when you start out, you're like, fuck. But we're starting to get some stuff together. We're starting to find the corner pieces. We're starting to find the edge pieces. We're starting to get the frame of the, of the puzzle together. And now we're filling in the gaps. Like it's starting to come together. It's going to be a long road. It's going to be a a long process. It's going to be ups and downs and breakthroughs and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it goes you know this isn't the last time you and i are going to talk no about no for sure and i'm super stoked to be at the sharp end of it doing what i'm doing with a company that i'm doing it with straight up right so that i'm stoked on and the longer this goes of course you can imagine i'm getting even more stoked because it's like this is cool to then have this knowledge and be able to to i don't know springboard to the next 
level of knowledge, whether it be, you know, solid state batteries or infrastructure planning and stuff like that. The funny thing is the people that I work with, we just want to go fast on bikes. And that that's an interesting dynamic to it is that we're not even saying we're not touting electric. We're just being like, well, this is a motorcycle. You could just happen to be electric, but we want it to stand up against the others. So to be in that is super stoked. I am for sure. But I don't, a lot of people are, you know, because I'm in it, I then get to see the social media every time something's posted. And then I get to read the comments, which whether it's political or whether it's about gas engine versus electric, you just start feeling stupider and stupider the more comments you read, right? It's one of those things like, like, it all comes back to parity, right? Like you guys are are in the business of trying to say electrics will be on performance parity with internal combustion and that the advantages of this powertrain make it a better powertrain than an internal combustion engine could be. Yeah. But that, you know, that's that's like that's like the the nut of the basic argument, which is just like if we get to a point where the technology is on par, then it starts making a lot more sense. You know, if the electric yeah. battery technology is on par with gasoline-powered motorcycles, then Alta is going to succeed, or Zero is going to succeed, or whatever. You know, Honda's e-bike will succeed, and it, it just needs to get there for that to happen. We start talking parity, then things start flipping, things start changing, and that's what the mainstream consumer. Because, like, I could get why you wouldn't want to buy a Tesla right now. I think the car platform makes a lot more sense in electric form than it does on a motorcycle right now but i can see where the motorcycles are going of course but like when i can have a hyper most motard style electric motorcycle that goes the distance and recharges in the times and all does does all the things that you could say negatively about electrics right now when that exists and costs the same amount i'm gonna give it a real thought because i know that electric drivetrains are really it doesn't stumble between you know twenty and thirty miles an hour and in, no in stalling, town speeds, man. it doesn't stall. It doesn't do like the weird things. I don't have like weird fueling issues in the morning because it's like reading the oxygen weird or you know going on, on about it. Um, on my way over here, I stopped at a stoplight, lane splitting illegally, illegally uh, that I had done on my multi one time and it stalled. It was one of the, like the five times the multi has ever stalled on me, but of course it had to do it there right at this at the front of the line it was very bad and today i pulled up and it was just very strange because i'm on i'm on a redshift supermoto and i pull up and i'm and i was thinking about it like i don't want to screw up because everybody's staring at you i have a california plate and i'm you know middle fingers in the air i am and i was just able to why i was so good because i was like oh my gosh that's it was a nerve-wracking moment like oh god because that oh when that happened to me it was super embarrassing it it always is if it stalls but it's usually if it's stalling like as you're accelerating away and you've fucked up this case i just stopped pulling the clutch and it died oh oh, man it's like it's like you're in rush hour traffic in downtown bologna uh and you're and you're having to follow another motorcycle in front of you because they're leading you to where you're gonna go get lunch, right? And like you're weaving in and out of traffic, and um, you know, like doing the lane splittings, doing the filterings, yeah. and all that stuff. And you get to the traffic light, and uh, the other person goes, and you go, and the bike stalls. But you're on like a borrowed like Multistrada Enduro, and so like you don't really like, and it has kind of like a comp complex like restart uh-huh. keyless yeah. get it going and i didn't know at the time i guess they had a little bit of an issue of stalling it like yeah. that was a thing 
And like, it's like that. And you're sitting there and you're watching the other bike, like disappear into traffic because they didn't know that you stalled the bike because they assumed like, Hey, you're a professional motorcycle rider. You, you should don't be good to go. You don't stall bikes. And like, it's a whole thing. And Oh, by the way, the guy in front of you is the CEO of Ducati and you're trying to go to lunch to interview him. It's like that. Yeah. It's like that. Not that that's ever happened. No, but it would be some, but it'd be like that if it did. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> By far, like I will never forget, like just like oh yeah, I'm I'm that guy today. Now, one of the main issues for me is that the bike that I was riding had to have the uh, switch on the kickstand disabled because, of course, they fail and that causes issues. So in this case, I had to get it into neutral because I couldn't just put the kickstand down or up. I see what you're doing there. Um, good talk. See you out there. All right. Kickstands up. Good talk. Bye. Okay. Bye. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. Bye. All right. Oh, look at the little kitty.